This week on Kettle of Fish, magician Steve Trash stops by to talk about upcycling the magic. Welcome to our after show. We call Kettle of Fish the No Politics Master Show. It's time for Kettle of Fish. No debate, hate, or argument allowed on Kettle of Fish. It's like a Willy Wonka psychedelic acid trip. So hooray for Kettle of Fish. Alrighty, welcome to Kettle of Fish, the show after the show, the talk after the talk, the 20-minute comedy money shot after the two, I guess I should say today, magical money shot, after the two hours of political foreplay. Um, Dwayne had to skip out, but we've got Fern and we've got Dee here. Are you guys ready to get fishy? Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Bubble, bubble, fish noise. I'm snorkeling today. It's actually raining in Virginia Beach, so I've got my snorkel on and my mask, so I'm totally fished out right now. Yeah, it's getting ready to rain here. There you go. That is dedication, absolutely. And, you know, I'm excited about today's guest. When we put the Kettle of Fish page up, and I think we're at episode 25 right now, I put up we're going to have, like, models and magicians and everything else. And we finally got a magician on here, so I didn't sound like I was talking out my ass about it. Because magic to me is so fascinating. We went to um, we've been we went to see John Shore at a magical dinner theater. We went so um, not too long ago for a band related thing. We went to Gatlinburg and we spent like an hour in a magic shop, bought a bunch of yeah, magic. More um, than that, cool. Yeah, probably more than that. Bought a like, bunch of illusions. We're junkies, man. It, it was like we were just standing there watching him do all of his tricks. Like some of his tricks he's doing twice. Because we'd already seen them once, and I'm like, I don't care. Listen, no, I'll just live here. Okay, you guys can go to lunch. I'm here. <laughs> I love magic. Magic. I'm. I'm so like. I'm not the kind of person that can figure that stuff out. So I'm just as amazed at as the like, the five year olds and the thirteen year olds that are just going, ooh ah. Like I'm really when it comes to magic, I love it. It's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but today's guest is a little bit different than just a straightforward magician. Why don't you tell us about today's guestie? Yay! Yes, today's guest combines two of my favorite things: um, magic and not wasting anything. No upcycling. And I actually had to teach you the meaning of that word because you had no idea. Um, and it was kind of one of those, you know, all that stuff that I do in the backyard with all the like pieces of things that I reused and turned into something else. That's upcycling. Um, so yeah, he does upcycling with magic and teaches kids the importance of, of taking care of the planet and how to, you know, take all the stuff that you think is just garbage and reuse it and use it for something else. And, you know, just because you're done with it doesn't mean that it's not useful. And, uh, yes, I, I was super-duper excited when you told me we were having him on because I thought it was the coolest thing, like, ever. I mean, I literally – I'm one of these people that I literally have planters in the backyard made of soda bottles and milk crates. And when we, when I made the new chicken coop, I recycled as much of the old pieces as I could. Um, and, yeah, I'm always about taking something and making something else out of it, which also means that I tend to have a bag of random things in the house that everybody's like, is this garbage? I'm like, no, I'm going to use it for a project. I, mm-hmm. I just need five more. Just need a few more. Just No, just leave it. I promise I'm going to use it. Just leave it. Um, so, yeah. Definitely. I always say I like to leave a room smarter than I entered it. And whenever I, I have been doing the research, I watch these sustainability videos by them along with all the magic. I left the room smarter than I entered it. 
So I am very mm-hmm. excited to have today's guest on. I don't know if it's cheesy to say ta-da, but here he is, Steve <laughs> No, that, that's not cheesy at all, I promise. Nice, <laughs> nice. Hey, um, so like I said in the intro, I was watching some of your videos. I do want to thank you for calling in. It is amazing to have you here. And speaking of amazing, after going down the Steve Trash rabbit hole, looking at everything you do, your magic is kind of not the most amazing thing about you. You've, you're a huge environmentalist. You've got your green magic kit for children, which is a first. You've got your music album that promotes environmental issues. How did you incorporate this magic and your passion for, you know, the green movement and environmentalism? How did that all come about to be incorporated together so seamlessly? Because it really does come off as very hand-to-hand where you would not have thought that if, you know, you were an outside spectator. You wouldn't think that's something that goes hand-to-hand. But you pull it off beautifully, Steve. Thank you. Well, that actually, I really, really appreciate that as a compliment because when I started uh, doing eco magic, uh, doing found object magic tricks uh, as a street performer back in the early, early 80s in New York City, I can tell you people looked at me like cows at a passing train, man. I bet. <laughs> they, they just they couldn't understand what what I was trying to accomplish. And my, my wife has said, look, I just tend to figure stuff out a little bit sooner than the other people do. And I'm not sure if she's right, but it's absolutely true. As a little kid, I had a passion for performing magic tricks. I wasn't very good at it, but I had a passion for it. I also simultaneously had a passion for uh, found objects, uh, just like I think Bee was describing her, mm-hmm. uh, the pots you have in the backyard that you put your plant, their planters and their upcycle reuse. As a little kid, I literally would walk around my neighborhood in Montgomery, Alabama, and I would collect the stuff that people had thrown away, you know, broken picture frames and old foot lockers or just crazy shaped car parts that I didn't really understand what they were. I'm like, I'm like seven years old, right? And I'm like, oh, this is really good. I've got a someone I could make something out of this. So I would keep all of this stuff. And then, you know, uh, at some point, those two, these two uh, parallel lines began to intersect, and then they began to intertwine. And I got to a point where I was like, you know, I love magic tricks, but artistically, uh, magic tricks don't really say anything. So I would like to maybe bring what I love about theater into it. And so I began trying to very subtly incorporate uh, waste reduction messages or or everything in the natural world as connected messages. And if you build a whole magic show with garbage and you name yourself Steve Trash, you don't even have to say anything about the environment because it's built into what you're doing. Yeah. Well, how how is the magic community... I'm reacting to this. How are your peers reacting to this? Is it like you're not supposed to bring this in because this could be seen as political and hurt the community? Or are they like, bravo, my friend. I'm glad that you're working on more than one level. Um, Later, uh, more recently, uh, it's at the bravo level. I literally, way back in the day, now, mind you, I'm an Academy of Magical Arts member, uh, a member of the Magic Castle now, and, and I go all the time and I've performed there. But back in the day, they looked at me, I auditioned, 
I killed, by the way. I mean, there were 25 people in there that were non-magicians, and I slayed them. And the guys looked at me, and they said, you know, I just don't think we're really interested in a trash guy. You know, it's just not really. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but that, that, you know, it just took them a while to figure out that I was doing something interesting, and now they're they're all about it. I mean, they, the Magic Castle had a, an issue where uh, parts of it burned recently, and so they put in wow. um, energy energy efficient lighting, and they put in, you know, quite a few, like, um, uh, energy efficient air conditioning. And so they get it. I mean, it's Southern California. They, they get it. But it did take them quite a long time to catch up. And frankly, there were quite a few magicians that simply didn't understand uh, what I was doing. And I'm totally cool with that because I, I never made shows for magicians. I made shows for the general public because my passion was transforming the way people see their connection to nature. And specifically, I focus on kids because I have a real connection uh, with children. Well, that's interesting. Let me ask you this um, fundamental question kind of. What to you? What is magic? And is there a certain expectation as far as presentation and decorum? Is there a difference to you between like a Chris Angel or a David Blaine and a David Copperfield? Is it like okay, this guy is more what you would expect a David Copperfield from a magician? Is he just as is a Chris Blaine just as legitimate as a David Copperfield, even though he's got rougher edges? Or is magic is magic, and there doesn't have to be a certain expectation of presentation about it? No, yeah, for me it's the second. Uh, You know, I don't think – I mean, you're talking to a guy that made a whole magic show out of garbage, so I don't put a whole lot of rules on entertainment, you know? Right. Uh, So as far as I'm concerned, um, David Blaine or Chris Angel are absolutely as valid as David Copperfield. Now – for easily two decades, David Copperfield was probably the finest big illusionist touring. I mean, nobody even came close. Um, but if your job is to amaze people, that's that's the only criteria. I don't care how you dress. I don't care what you look like. I don't even care what your attitude is or your language. If you're just amazing, um, that's your job. You know, that's is just be amazing. Okay, fair enough. Um, you you talk a lot about street magic. Do you like doing street magic better than doing big house type shows? Or because I know it's different, right? When you're doing street magic, you're so much closer to the audience. Is that a little bit more difficult because they're right there looking right at what you're doing? Or is the stage more comf- um, more kind of complicated because there's more of a chance because the illusions are so much more complex of making a misstep. Which one is easier and which one do you like better? If easier is even a word we can use in this situation. Uh, man, that's a really perceptive question. Because from 84, I used to live in New York City. I lived in the village down on Spring Street from 84 uh, to 89. And I worked Washington Square Park uh, and Central Park. That's how I made a living. When the weather was good, I was the only bus you know, I was only street performing. And uh, mind you, I graduated with a degree in theater, so I understood what it was like to be in a theater. And I can tell you, as sort of a partial answer to your question, that street performers can almost always move onto a theater and be very effective entertainers. And it is not necessarily true, the opposite. The skills that being a theater person teach you do not teach you the same skills uh, that you would need to be a great uh, street act. So I would say um, it's more difficult to be a great 
street act, but a great street act can be a great theater act uh, as well. Uh, because here's the thing. The street act teaches you, first of all, I grew up in Texas and Alabama, but I speak quickly. Okay. And I speak quickly because I had to work in New York City, and you wanted to convince someone, not only somebody walking past you, that you're interesting enough to stop and see and watch, but to give you money. I mean, that's kind of a that is true thing. I mean, you're saying, I'm so interesting you have to stop, you have to watch, you have to give me money to keep doing this artistic thing. And those are really good talents um, to, to put in your back pocket. Uh, you know, they're good quivers to have in your, uh, in your pocket so you can use them. And you can use every skill you learn as a street entertainer in the theater. Uh, my preference, frankly, is the theater because I like control. I like control of the audience. I like control of what I'm presenting. And a theater gives you that option to be so much more in control. I mean, I've never met, and this is, I stand by this. I've said it before. I've never met a street performer that was truly amazing and great that wasn't at the heart of it an anarchist. Anarchists don't want to be told when or where, or how much, that, and every great street performer. Now, mind you, I'm talking about Philippe Petit. I'm talking about Charlie Barnett. I'm talking about Tony Vera. Some of your listeners, if they lived in New York City, know all of those names. And obviously, you know, uh, Philippe Petit is very famous. But he was working Washington Square Park back then. And I would see all these people and go, you know, you're just not right. You know, you, you're here for your own artistic reasons and... I'm going to watch you and learn from you, but I won't ever be you because I'm just not that. I like control over the situation, you know, better than that. Wow, that really breaks it down. D, um, Fern, what do you guys think about that? Because I'm watching these videos on Steve's YouTube, and there was a lot of things that struck me. One is that he also has intersected with his magic videos, his sustainability videos, and it kind of showed two sides of Steve, which I really liked. And I'll get back with him on that. But what do you guys think about what Steve's saying as far as street magician, anarchist, controlled environment, the stage? I mean, we're learning a lot here, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. And, and I think it, it kind of does bring a lot. It's something that I really hadn't thought of before but makes total sense. Um, because, like you said, it, there's no difference really – between the street performer and the one on a giant stage in Vegas. There's really not. The only difference is how many people you're performing for at one time. But they both, you know, there's, there's different skills that each one has to have. And then for you to take not just that skill set, but on top of it, try to make it meaningful and try to teach somebody something and try to make them aware of something that maybe it's just kind of something in the background, it, it, it's just freaking cool <laughs> like really Fern, you oh yeah you know it's I, it's funny because i sat down with my 13 year old and i said hey i want you to check this guy out just look at this he's uh he just got a magic box for christmas from my uh from my mother and my father right. and he's infatuated with magic and he's just you know he's starting to you know get his bearings and toy around with it a little bit and i totally encourage it i think it's creative i think it's fun i think it's intellectual and bringing the, you know, uh, upcycling part to it is so important. Like D, you know, I, I'm, I have little yogurt cups that I recycle when I start my seeds for my garden, and that's what I start my seeds in. So I, I'm, it's very, very important for us to take care of the earth and really cut down on what we use, not because we're afraid of 
something, but because we just should take care of it. It's just it's the right thing to do. And I think what you do is so very important, and you make it so much fun. He had such a good time watching the video and laughing. I mean, we were all laughing. It was great. It was awesome. Thank you. Well, can, can I interject something here as to how, sure. how those two things tie together? It's um, the, the, the uh, magic. Magic works for a very, very, very simple psychological reason. The reason you get that, um, that rush of dopamine, you either laugh or you go <gasps> like that. When you see a magic trick, it's because you have cognitive dissonance, that, and your mind doesn't know how to solve that. It's... Um, you, your mind knows that a woman can't float in the air. And so when the couch is taken away and the woman is floating, you've created this dissonance, right? And there's this, um, there's this feeling that you get. And most people stop there. But the reason that trick is working is because you've drawn false conclusions from a false, a pre, a false premise. Okay, so what the great magician does is the great magician says, I'm going to give you a, uh, a false premise, and you're going to follow that false premise to the point where I can make this amazing thing like a woman float in the air. So you reach a false conclusion because false information at the beginning leads you to false information at the end. So tie this in to why I do a sustainability-driven show. It's because as a little kid I realized that you can't pollute the environment, you can't overuse resources, and and get away with it. It is a false premise to begin with to say we can uh, uh, use and abuse Mother Nature's resources and it will never come back to harm us. Even as a little kid, I was like, that's Amen. stupid. Yeah, that doesn't even make sense, you know? And so I started marrying those two things together, going, saying right up front, look, we have a false premise. We start the conversation with this notion that we don't have to be sustainable, we don't have to be renewable. Now, having said all of this stuff about me not being an anarchist, at the same time, I hate being told what to do, right? I mean, that's why I started being a street performer. I don't like laws. I don't like rules. I do understand, though, that the rules that really apply are the ones that Mother Nature made up because it's like trying to play baseball using a football, right? You have to play by the rules of the actual game, right? And Mother Nature has some particular rules she has set up. Um, systems generally work in cycles, right? That you know, think about it. The air that you breathe, that's completely recycled. You breathe it out, trees and plants breathe it in, and they exhale oxygen. That's a cycle. It goes out, comes back in. The water that makes up your body, that is a cycle. It goes up to the air, it, it condenses, it falls down, it runs all over the earth, soaks in, some of it goes in your body, some of it evaporates. That is a circle. That is a cycle. So at a very, very basic level, what I'm trying to do with my performance is get people to pivot their view towards a more accurate view of how we interface with the planet. Now I'm trying to do it in you know, in a much funner way than that, <laughs> you know, but that's the thinking that goes into it. Well, I have to tell you too, and I'm not just saying this because you're on the show. I mean, I wouldn't have you on the show if I didn't already think this. I think you're very brave in taking this on, and you know, I'm we're friends with Jay Johnson, the Vertuilquist, and one of the things that amazed me about him is he's got his regular 
entertainment page, and on it he has a blog where he speaks to political issues. And I'm always right. amazed by guys like you who are able to incorporate things that may be very um, heated topics, and you're like, look, this is what I stand for. This is what I believe in. And if this kind of makes a few people turn away and go, well, that's Steve Trash. He's one of these liberal environmentalist nuts, then you're okay with that because you're putting the work before you're putting, hey, I have to like just get in every single unit, every dollar as possible. And I wish more people would do that. I think it's important. Right. Well, in, in my case, I, I actively um, – and by the way, I'm a huge Jay Johnson fan. Uh, he's both a, a talented guy and a really intelligent guy and a good conversationalist. But I stay away. I, I made a really, really important decision early on. What I talk about is not environmentalism. What I talk about is environmental science. It's how the natural world actually works. And here's the thing. You can be conservative, you can be independent, you can be liberal, and Mother Nature will treat you exactly the same yes, way. Yes, your, yes. Your, mm-hmm. uh, your opinion about it is irrelevant. Your opinion, your, your worldview about what is correct, what is incorrect, it actually does not matter. What matters is, like I was saying about the baseball game, follow the rules that Mother Nature set up. You know, I wrote a book a couple of years ago that – for the business community that was massively unsuccessful. <laughs> it, was, it was called uh, Profit Sustainably. And it was basically, I was advocating that businesses move towards sustainability with only the bottom line in mind, right? Forget environmentalism. You could be completely environmentally agnostic. You should do this because it will make more money for you. The, the book never really took off. However, it made me even more convinced that the sustainability uh, path is the path that we must move towards. And I came up with two rules after having written this book and done all of the research. These are the two rules that everyone needs to ask themselves when they're making a choice about how to affect or be affected by the environment. Number one, is it renewable? Number two, does it create pollution? Now, everything else is much more complicated, but if you can answer those two questions correctly, you're probably making a sustainable choice. Is it renewable? And that can apply to energy. That can apply to the bag that you use or don't use at supermarket. Uh, and does it make pollution? And if you can answer those, obviously pollution would be no. And is it renewable? The answer would be yes. You're probably on that path, the path that Mother Nature set up at the beginning um, that if we don't get on it, there will be serious ramifications. And that's smart, and I think um, I'm a big fan of um, Thomas Friedman. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he kind of writes from the same, like, bottom line. Hey, if I can't appeal to you as a human being, let me appeal to your, like, your profit margin and tell you that if we don't switch to green energy, the countries like India and Germany now, who's gone almost completely green, these are the countries that are going to kick our ass in the next 20 years and become superpowers. And I think it's smart to frame it that way. Well, you can. Uh, I live in Alabama. Uh, I live. Uh, my wife and I own an earth-burned house. Uh, the south-facing wall of my home is all glass, all windows. Yeah, all I saw that. Of course, in the front yard we got a 21-panel solar array. But uh, my neighbors, although they are great outdoorsmen, they love being outdoors, are, are pretty conservative people. So I have to be able to speak with them in a way that they like and understand and get along with. And so I tend to make it more about 
the science of ecology when we talk, or I talk about how much money you can save. I mean, people ask mm-hmm. me about my solar array. And in Alabama, because I'm on uh, our uh, power provider is Alabama Power, and they actually penalize me for being a supplier. Uh, but some people, frankly, have to be out front. You know, you need to be the Cuddy Sark. You need yeah. to be the one that is providing green energy back to the system, even if it costs you money, because, um, you know what, the, somebody needs to leave. You know that silly expression, leave forward, get out of the way? Well, I believe in that. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, once again, we could have a whole hour conversation on the communities, on the different states or counties that punish you mm-hmm. for trying to go green. Um that's something that really irks me, pisses me off. And, D, we've had this conversation before. Our town will p- penalize us for collecting rainwater, and I think it's absolutely ridiculous when counties mm-hmm. or towns do that. I mean, that's something that really irks me, why, why I'm doing the right thing, and you want to come and try to penalize me for it. Yeah, well, the, yeah. Uh, the over the – over, uh, I'm sorry about that, D. Go ahead. No, no. no, I was going to say it's ridiculous because, if anything, you know, people should be encouraged – to do things that are going to make it easier for the power company to provide accurate services for everybody and make it, you know, less harmful for the planet. And, I mean, it's like, you know, it makes sense. It's the Aldi's way. If you use your own bag, you don't have to pay. But if you have to use their bag, it costs extra because they want you to use your own. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. It just makes sense. Well, I I think our job is in transforming the story those people in power, you know, say the, the, your local city officials or your county that are saying you can't collect uh, rainwater. The, the way to win is, frankly, to transform the story, what people tell themselves that collecting rainwater means, what it means to them as a story of a community to make green, renewable energy. Uh, we, we simply need – because that's, that's how we live. I mean, what we think is right and wrong, it, what we think is right and wrong is a story that we've told ourselves about what is right and wrong. And that's why I think that huh, the, cultural, yeah. the cultural leaders are the ones that are able to dig in and transform the story of what, what the meaning of the thing is. And, you know, as a little kid, I got it. Uh, you know, I've got that connection to nature. My dad was a forester. I grew up in Alabama. You know, I spent a lot of time in the woods. You know, until I was in my 20s, my brother and I thought that's what you did on Christmas morning. You know, you get up and go to the woods, right? We thought that's what you do, you know? But I got older and realized that not a lot of people have that great advantage because say what you will about Alabama, um, politically, um, there are some good folks here, and the state is stunningly beautiful. I mean, it's a really beautiful state. And so we have lots of outdoor stuff uh, that you can do, and I grew up surrounded by that. So in a way, I get to be sort of a – I don't know, an advocate for the outdoors and, and simultaneously an, an advocate for the, the whole planet, if you will. You know, Steve, I could sit here all day and talk to you about environmental issues. We've got to get you back to get on our political panel panel and talk about this. We've only got a few minutes left. i got to shift gears. I want to ask you a couple idiot fanboy questions about Matt. <laughs> all right, first off, one thing I'm watching – as I always watch magic with a very skeptical eye, and I'm wondering because you talked earlier about evoking cognitive dissonance and like wow in the audience. As somebody who's been doing magic 25 plus years, can anybody still wow you? Can you still see an illusion and go, I have no idea how he did that, 
or is everything kind of fundamental? You've been in it long enough where you at least know the basics of how they're doing it. No, no, no. I, uh, I, I'm deceived all the time. I call it watching with new eyes. Every uh, magician that I watch, I go in not trying to dissect the thing. I watch with new eyes, and, yeah, I'm deceived all the time, and I love it. Cause I get exactly the same feeling that, uh, you know, just a regular person in the audience, a straight person, would get. So the answer is, yeah, people fool me all the time, and I totally love it. Wow, that is beautiful, right, Dee? That you could still have that childlike wonder even after being – I mean, because since we started doing politics three years ago in the ignorance equation – I kind of feel a little bit jaded, and like I, I understand exactly how these systems work. But the fact that Steve still goes into this with, as he said, new eyes, that's fairly amazing, right? Yeah, but I think magic is a lot easier to do that with. Like, politics gets me down after a while. I get really burnt out. But I'm pretty sure that I could watch or be involved in any sort of magic in any way like every single day, and I don't think I'd ever get tired of it. It's like saying, hey, uh, it's like pizza for me. Like I I have been known to literally eat pizza every day for weeks upon weeks upon weeks because there's always something different, and there's always some other way you can do it or some other way you can see it, and I'm like, dude, it's magic. Like it's like that's like saying, oh, does music ever get old? Well, of course not. It's music. It's magic. It's it's just yeah, yeah I'm a big the magic industry, person. Those guys might be a little bit jaded. Fern, you're the newbie as far as all of this on the shows. You've been with us eight months. Um, looking at it, how Steve looks at it, do you still have new eyes when it comes to what we're doing? Do you understand what Steve's saying? Uh, yeah, actually, I think the difference with politics versus magic is you know magic is so cerebral and so talented and so entertaining and and just can you know just take you to a hold i i can be talking about politics and be completely just frustrated and then watch magic and be like oh cool like i'm i'm four again i it's always so wondrous to me so i don't want to dissect it honestly i don't want to figure out the trick behind it i just want to sit and watch and just be amazed at what people do whereas politics i do want to dissect it i want to break it down on both sides i want to understand where they're coming from and I want to really dig into the meat of it. Magic, I just want to let it be magic. Just let it be magical yeah. and enjoy it and not dissect it and try to think too hard about it because it is very, it is a, a very big talent and a very cerebral thing. So I just like to enjoy it. Well, that's an interesting mm-hmm. question, and Steve. Um, do people now, looking back over your career of almost 30 years, now that you have your phones and Google and YouTube, um, is it harder to suspend that disbelief inside people? Are they more skeptical because they can just jump on their phone and look up the trick you just did? Or do people put all that aside because, like Fern said, they want to be amazed. They want to suspend any of that cynicism and just walk into it with those new eyes every single episode of you performing. I, you know, that's, an, that's a really interesting question. That The sort of parentheses around that is I can tell you that the smarter the person the easier to deceive. Um, uh, the children are harder to deceive than grown-ups. Wow. Um, because, oh, oh, that's a fact. Ask any magician, and they'll tell you that. And the reason, of course, is uh, abstract thinking. Uh, uh, grown-ups are very, very abstract thinkers, layers upon layers upon layers. And a child is, generally speaking, a concrete thinker. You know, they see something floating in the air and the grown-up says, well, that must be an electromagnetic reverse uh, holographic uh, thingamabob. And the kid goes, no, 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 it's, it's a string. See? There's a string. <laughs> 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 so, 
right? And yeah, so that makes <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the grown-ups are complicated. We have complicated systems. It's, it's why we have societies. We, we can think abstractly. Um, but the real answer to your question is uh, I think no. People are either open or they are not. And a great magician brings people into the fold that both are uh, wonder freaks, and it sounds like, frankly, your, uh, your guest, your fellow podcasters, uh, radio broadcasters are also wonder freaks, and those people come in going, yeah, man, hit me with the dopamine. There are also other people that come in and say, I'm analytical, this is frustrating, I will take this apart, and I'm going to sit here until I can figure this out. And both are welcome at a magic show. If you are a great magician, you are able to create magic that is interesting and intriguing and fun for both of those kinds of audiences. So this new technology of having any information at your fingertips really hasn't had an impact on you as a performer then? Uh, the only impact it's had is you've got to stay ahead of the curve, and that's you don't really want to be doing tricks uh, that everyone else is doing that you can download off of YouTube and learn the instructions to, because that will get in your way. But, you know, I've been doing things so originally and differently for so long that that's not really a problem for me, you know, because it's just kind of, I'm not doing what anybody else is doing anyway. I mean, if you've got 30 seconds, mm-hmm. I'll tell you how I, how I came up with Speed Trash. Long ago, I didn't even meet a professional until I was in my 20s. And there was this wow. guy, this guy, his name is Marvin Roy. He was Mr. Electric. Mr. Electric had been on The Tonight Show and, you know, Jack Paul and everything. He was, he was really famous. And I met him at a convention. I said, Mr. Electric, I want to be a professional magician. Tell me what to do. And he said, hey, kid, if you want to be a magician, there's a thousand of them out there. If they want the guy with the light bulbs, they're asking for me. Go find your light bulb. And so that's when I actively, actively went looking for that thing that I was passionate about, that hook. And for me, it was the environment and trash and being connected to the natural world. And, and as soon as I infused that into my shows, into my show business world, it put me in this very unique place where nobody was like me. It also made me really happy because the art form was interesting to me. To be honest, I don't think I would want to be just an illusionist that makes people go, oh, wow. Although there are a few amazing things I do that are not eco things, and I never perform them publicly because it doesn't fit with the trash. Man, that is amazing. Okay, we got to wrap this up. I've got to hit one more point. This is purely, like I said, idiot, fanboy, logistical. Um, magician assistants, because I'm watching your shows. I'm watching what an integral part they play in every illusion. Do they know everything, or do you just give them enough pieces to be able to play their role? Or they know exactly how the, the illusion works? No, no. Great, great assistants. Uh, I call them cast members. They are partners on the stage. In fact, I go as far as to even them, even give them character names. I mean, sometimes the, the women on stage are Mother Nature, or some, and we'll saw Mother Nature in half. Or sometimes it'll be Surfer Girl. And we'll surfer Girl, stage. yeah. Uh, yeah, Surfer Girl gets taken apart like water does and put back together. So no, no, no. They know everything, and they are really actively partners on stage with every illusionist. Any illusionist worth their salt will tell you that. 
All right, that answers my question. Um, Dee and Fern, I'll let you guys get the last word. I've kind of been monopolizing Steve because I am so blown away by all things Steve Trash. So I'll let you guys have the last word on this. Um, I just want to let I, I just want you to let everybody know where to get your green magic kit because I think it's just a fabulous thing. I think it's awesome. <laughs> I don't think it's out there anymore. Um, they, it was, uh, Imagine Play produced the first run, and they sold a bunch. I mean, they sold a couple thousand of them. And then I think the company was sold, so I don't think it exists anymore. But if you if you are interested in – my magic book is still out there. I wrote a magic yeah. book called The Magic of Ecology, and uh, it's downloadable on Kindle, and it's 21 magic tricks, uh, and each one illustrates an ecological principle or an ecological concept. Um, I think it's downloadable as a PDF for free from my website, com. Yeah, I think I saw it, which yeah. is super-duper awesome. Yeah, yeah. Fern? Oh, I, you know, it's just, it was really cool to see what you do and how you incorporate, you know, the environmental aspect in it, and it is very important. Actually, one of my favorite classes that I ever took was environmental science and learning about, you know, envelope houses and different different things that you can do to be ecologically sound, and it was fascinating to me. So I definitely appreciate the uniqueness that you've brought to combine magic and being environmentally friendly and and not only friendly but productive and i i just think it's great so it was a pleasure to talk to you all right well, the, the pleasure was mine thank you guys Steve, thanks thank you so much for calling in as a good illusionist today you have totally changed my perceptions about magic which is definitely a good thing you perform all over the world i've been going back and forth with you your schedule is hectic um, tell everybody where they can find you, what you've got coming up, and where to kind of resource all things Steve Trash. Well, the best thing to do is uh, to find me on Instagram. I really like Instagram because I was in the United Arab Emirates three weeks ago, and I shared photographs of performances there, and then I, I flew in, and I was working in New Jersey. So uh, follow me on Instagram. If you're really interested in the video, go to my uh, YouTube page, and uh, that's the best way to get a hold of me, and uh, let's uh, – Let's just talk. If you like the work that I'm doing, um, share it with people because I guarantee I will be in your town sometime soon because I am all over the place. Out, out the door, let me ask you this one last thing. When you have your YouTube channel up, I notice you have your sustainability videos and you're kind of doing them more in your real-life persona. Next to your magician videos or illusionist videos, do you find that takes away a little bit of the wonder? Or are you comfortable kind of displaying both facets of your personality there on YouTube? Uh, that's a fascinating question. I wrestle with that every day. It's to, I mean, we live in the 21st century, and everyone wants, uh, give me real, you know, give me the real thing, give me the, yeah. give me the behind the scenes. What's the, do- you know, what's the lowdown? What's the dope? And I, I don't know if that's what they really want because I'm just sort of a, a boring old guy in real life. <laughs> Nice. All righty, Steve. Thank you so much for calling in today. It was a pleasure having you on. This is one of my favorite episodes now. I've learned so much. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. The fine devilfish. All righty. All righty, guys. We will be back in two weeks with Paul Goebel. We will be talking about season finales. Fern D, as always, thank you for sticking around for 40 minutes now after we hashed it out politically for the last two hours. I think my brain is fried. 
Well, that's yeah, a good I need thing. Well, it was so much fun, one, but right? I think my brain needs a rest. <laughs> All righty, guys. We will see you in two weeks. Um, Ignorance Equations, taking a little bit of break while we build our new server and just kind of check out the pages, and we'll be around. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Geico presents sharing versus oversharing. Earlier this week, Claire Tippins shared a princess nickname generator, three pictures of her dog wearing a tutu, and two online quizzes, including what candy is your dream castle made of? Claire, your sharing has tipped the sugar scale and turned into oversharing. But have no fear, princess. Geico has something worth sharing with your internet kingdom, like how you can save hundreds on your car insurance just by visiting geico.com. No magic wand required. Geico, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.